Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, good morning, and thank you for being at the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're here with us this weekend, and I'm really, really glad to be up here. It's been like a month since I've gotten to talk to you, and I've been telling some people that they should pack a lunch for this service because I have a lot to say. But then the production team reminded me there's a timer on the screen, and that hasn't changed, so I get the time that I get. No, I'm really excited because... I'm excited about where we're headed as a church. You know, you remember our theme for the year is a year of listening to God. And I can't think of a better theme for a year than that because this is going to be, it already is, but it's going to be a noisy year. It's an election year. There are a ton of people clamoring for our attention, a ton of voices that are telling us they know how to lead us where we need to go. What we wanna do as a church is fight to find and listen to the voice of God because it, he, it's him who knows how to take us where we need to go. And, and what's so great about it is in a year of listening to God, I can't think of a better topic to begin with than to listen to God on happiness. That's what we're doing as we spend time in the Beatitudes. We're calling it a theology of happiness because most of us are driven day to day by a pursuit of happiness. Either capital H happiness, chasing some big dream that we think will make us happy, or just small H each day trying to find a little bit of comfort, a little bit of peace, a little bit of what will make us happy. And for most of us, we probably think the last place we should go to find happiness is God. But that's why it's so important to hear that in the beginning of Jesus's most significant sermon in the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with a series of statements on happiness. Blessed are the blank. And we've told you that that word blessed can so easily in English be better understood and better translated into happy. So that what Jesus has in mind is our desire for happiness. And what he wants to tell us is it's not that he's opposed to our happiness. It's that he actually knows how to get there. And so we're leaning in each week to see what he would tell us about happiness, to build a theology of happiness, to, to join in our minds this idea that listening to God and being happy are not mutually exclusive. In fact, listening to God always leads to happiness. And if you're wondering how in the world that could be true, let's start with you just opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, verse five. It's more than okay to take out your tablet or your phone. If you're watching online to just Google Matthew five, uh, verse five. By the way, if you're here and you don't know your way around the Bible, maybe you didn't uh, bring a Bible. I'm so glad that you're here. I imagine if you came and you don't know much about the Bible, this was probably a tough 
step for you. So good for you for taking it. And I want you to know that everything that's going to happen here this morning is as much for you as it is for me. And one of the small ways we want to show you that is we actually make Bibles available to you. They're in the back of the pew in front of you. If you're here in the West service or in the back of the room, if you're in the East service, and I preach from one of those Bibles with you in mind so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 759. So you don't need to know your way around the Bible. Just crack one of those open and turn to page 759 and you'll be right there with us. And as you're getting there, let me hold out to you three points that I'm going to use to guide our time together. Thinking about Jesus's words, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Three points, very simple. They go like this. What is meekness? How does it lead to happiness? And how can I get it? What is meekness? How does it lead to happiness? And how can I get it? All right, let's start with the first one. What is meekness? Uh, Meek is not an adjective we use very often in our culture. It's not even an adjective that prior to this sermon, I, don't, I would have necessarily liked being applied to me. If, if I say, this is my friend Jeff, he's very meek. Not all of us are gonna think highly of Jeff in that moment. And you, that'll make sense to you in a second when I define it because it's kind of the antithesis of our culture. Meekness means to be gentle, to be humble, to be deferential, to be submissive. In fact, one definition I read said that meekness or to be meek is to be easy to impose on. That's the exact opposite of our culture, which says you should fight for what you want. You should scream louder than the person next to you. That if you want something, you're going to have to take it by force. Meekness is humility, submission, deference, surrender. It is a spirit of being easy to be imposed on. And if you're like me, what you just heard me say is, meekness is being a doormat. It's being one of those people that is easy to run over. One of those kind of people pleasers who never has an opinion or an idea, just wants to do what everyone else wants to do, just going along to get along. But if that's what you hear when you hear meekness, you couldn't be more wrong. And the reason why I say that is because you're thinking of meekness in a horizontal dimension. You're thinking that what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the meek, is he's saying, happy are those who are submissive, deferential, surrendered, easy to impose on by other people. But to get there, you would have to rip this statement out of context. Because keep in mind, Jesus has been talking not about our horizontal relationships, but our vertical relationship, our, our relationship with God, our posture towards God. When he says, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, what he has in mind is those who are going to God saying, God, I know there's nothing about me that is lovable. I know that I'm not worthy. I know I haven't earned anything. I know when he has in mind, blessed are those who mourn, he's thinking of those who mourn that reality. God, you've given me 40 years of life and I've squandered them. God, I've sinned against you. God, I've broken your commands. I'm breaking your world. Jesus is focused on our vertical relationship first, not our horizontal one. So when he says, blessed are the meek, Happy are the surrendered, the submissive, the deferential, the easy to impose on. He doesn't have in mind those that are being run over by people. He has in mind 
those who are being run over by God. Those who come to God in a spirit of deference. You see, there's a logical progression here. It, it should be that poverty of spirit and mourning, the process of coming to the end of ourselves, of realizing what we don't know and what we can't do, should lead us logically to a place of surrender. God, I've made a mess of my life. I need to give up control. I need to surrender to you. That's meekness. Let me give you an example that will illustrate that. If you're like me and you're an AT&T customer, you almost lost your mind this week because for a couple of hours, which felt like days, you lost signal in your phone. And I am not very tech savvy, so I walked into the office here one day and my phone is in SOS mode and I don't know what that means or even that I had in SOS mode. It felt like I should be sending up an SOS. I did not know that was a mode. So when I got in and I couldn't fix it, I went on my computer and I YouTubed what to do when your phone is stuck on SOS mode. And I found this video with 18 steps that you could do to get your phone out of SOS mode. And I want you to know two things. Number one, I did all 18 steps. And number two, when I was done, this is not hyperbole, when I was done, my office was completely wrecked. My rug would been moved, my chairs were upside down. That wasn't part of the video, that was just user error. But I was trying all 18 steps. Why? Because I knew two things. Number one, I had no idea how to get my phone out of SOS mode. And number two, I needed to find somebody who did. That's meekness. That's meekness. When Jesus is happier than meek, he's saying happier those who go to God and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. You take control. You lead. You speak up. You tell me what to do. Is that you? He's not talking about coming to church. He's not talking about even just saying, I, I've, I feel guilty or I feel ashamed. That's poverty of spirit. That's mourning. But, but he's saying, but you got to make the turn. You got to make the pivot, which is to say, because of those things, therefore, I am eager and willing to give up control. Is that you? Meekness is a difficult concept. Sometimes the best way to understand something is to talk about what it's not. So I know I've made the point, but if you'll indulge me to press in a little further, I, I want to do a kind of a, a Roomba type thing. Do you know what, what a Roomba is? It's the first step in the robot takeover of our universe. <laughs> it's a vacuum that vacuums the floor yourself. You've never heard of this. You're, you're Amazoning it right now, right? It's a, I don't have one because I have children. We just spray them with end dust and let them go. But when you have a Roomba, when you buy it, it's this little robot that will vacuum your house. And the way it works when you turn it on the very first time, if you've seen it, is it will slam into everything in your house because it's trying to determine the boundaries. So it'll run into the wall, it'll run into the chair, it'll run into your dog, it runs into everything because it's dialing in, okay, this is the living room. So what I wanna do is kind of Roomba meekness and I want you to know what the boundaries are. In other words, when are we not being meek in order to figure out when we are being meek? And let me give you three boundaries, three ways I think we miss meekness in this culture. Here's the first one, control. Control is the opposite of meekness. I want you to hear this because you might think being a jerk is the opposite of meekness, and I'll get to that. But actually the opposite of meekness for most people is control. It is saying, I will lead me. I know what I'm doing. 
I will do marriage my way, money my way, sexuality my way, career my way, parenting my way. Control is the opposite of meekness. And, and you need to hear this because it's possible to feel guilt and to feel shame. In other words, to say I've made a mess of my life, nail the first and second beatitude, but miss the third because you'll stop just short of actually giving up control. Meekness is giving up control. And I also want to hear you to hear me say that for most of us, control isn't overt. We don't wake up in the morning and say, whatever happens, I will be in charge today. You might think of control as autopilot. It's just getting up every day and doing what you do, the way you do it, for the reasons you do it. Jesus says, the meek, happy are the meek, happy are those who get up in the morning and realize I've got to fight against wanting to be in control. Here's the second way we miss meekness. Cowardice. Cowardice. You know, I really began this week studying for this sermon by saying, uh, Jesus, help me out with something. You say here, happy are the meek, but when I read the Bible, you don't always come off as meek. I mean, don't forget that Jesus made a whip and drove money changers out of the temple. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He said of certain cities that the day of judgment would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for them. In, in the book of Revelation, he tells the city of Laodicea, the church in Laodicea, I'm gonna throw you up. I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. At the end of the book of Revelation, spoiler alert, he comes back on a white horse to make war against God's enemies. So my starting point was to say, Jesus, how is that meek? But here's the reality, surrendering to God, being submissive to God, being easy for God to impose on will sometimes mean being courageous. It will sometimes mean being bold. It will sometimes mean saying enough. This is wrong. This is not okay. I mean, the Bible says that Moses was meek. Listen, when you were filming a movie in the 70s, if you wanted meek, you didn't call Charlton Heston. Not Mr. Soylent Green, Mr. Planet of the Apes. No, Moses was meek, but he also said to Pharaoh, let God's people go. Meekness sometimes, especially in a crazy culture like ours, degrading by the minute, meekness will sometimes mean saying, hey, because I'm surrendered to God, because I'm deferential to God, I have to tell you, no, enough. That's wrong. That's not okay. That's crazy. I'm not doing that. Sometimes meekness to God will mean being bold to others. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter one. Am I a pleaser of man or a servant of Christ? And I say that because I think some Christians in this culture feel like you've got to be silent all the time because after all, we're meant to be gentle. We're meant to be submissive. We're meant to be deferential and absolutely to God. Sometimes if you start with horizontal meekness, you end up with vertical cowardice. And then if you really liked that point just now, you're gonna need to hear this third one, which is sometimes we miss meekness by being combative. One of the things that's true of Jesus is that his enemies would often come to him because something in the way he said what he said brought Nicodemus to him at night. Something in the way he said made Pilate's wife not able to sleep 
because there was something about the truth he was telling that wouldn't let them go. Let me ask you, those of you who are being bold, how many of your enemies are coming to you in private asking you about Jesus? You see, we can miss meekness in a lot of directions. Meekness isn't easy, but it is worth it. That's my second point. How does meekness lead to happiness? How does meekness, submission, deference, surrender, being easy for God to impose on, how does letting God run you over lead to happiness? And the answer to that is bound up in the second part of this sentence where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, happy are the surrendered, happy are the submissive because they will inherit the earth. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he means two things. The first, he has in mind heaven. He has in mind heaven. Listen, the biblical picture of heaven is not what you think. It's not this esoteric place up in the sky where we wear diapers and float around and play the harp. Thank God. Who wants that, right? Actually, what the Bible tells us at the very end of things, heaven will come down to earth. Heaven and earth will become one, the earth will be made new. Jesus will be king over a new earth. We will do what we were always meant to do, be in relationship with God and build and create and shape and cultivate. It's gonna be awesome. And Jesus says, only the meek will be there. Only the meek will be there. I want you to hear this because I think so many people are confused because they think, well, I, I remember a time in my life where I felt guilty. I remember a time in my life where I felt ashamed. I remember a time in my life where I felt dirty. I felt broken. Okay, first two Beatitudes tracking. But do you remember a time where you surrendered? Because there is no category for Jesus as Savior without also Jesus as Lord. He's a king. Heaven is for people who welcome his kingship. Consider that just for a minute that you're living in a fictional country with a king and he's a terrible king. The king is awful and the country is falling apart. And so a rebellion starts and, a, and an upstart leader is leading that rebellion and, and he's leading that army into battle and they're going to war and that you decide, hey, I have to pick a side and I'm going to side with the current King. I'm going to side with the status quo and they go to war and the rebellious king wins and, and, and or the rebellious leader wins and now he becomes king. Should you expect that would be good for you or bad for you? Friends, this is why as pastors, we talk to you about the things we do because you living together before marriage, you being stingy with your money, my anger problem, these things aren't just problems. They're potential reasons why we won't ever see heaven. And I don't mean you earn your salvation. You know that's not what we teach here, but Jesus says that true poverty of spirit True mourning, true brokenness, true will always lead to surrender to the king. So if you're carving out areas of your life where the kingship of Jesus isn't welcome, I think this is less an encouragement to you and more a warning. If heaven is for the meek, if heaven is for the surrendered, if heaven is for those who welcome the authority of Jesus, then shouldn't you be concerned? 
But Jesus says, if you will surrender, if you will be deferential, if you will bow the knee, then you can expect an inheritance that will blow your mind. By the way, by the way, let me just say this. This is why baptism is so crucial. It's why it's so crucial. It's why we don't apologize for requiring it here for everyone who says they're a Christian because it is the first act of surrender. Do you normally get in a bath in front of a bunch of strangers? But will you if the king says to? Jesus says, the meek can know that surrender in this life leads to glory in the next. But there's a second thing he means. It isn't just heaven, but heaven breaking through now. You see, the Bible doesn't have this idea that all the rewards and benefits of Christianity are in the life to come. Jesus will say in the Gospels, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's now. He says at the end of the book of Revelation, behold, I am, listen to the verb tense, I am making all things new. Not I will, I am now. I'm doing it now and I will keep doing it until it's done. The biblical picture is that the kingship of Jesus is ushering in heaven. Now heaven is breaking through. And you know how it breaks through? Do you know how heaven breaks through in your marriage and in your sexuality and in your money and in your career and in your parenting and in every nook and cranny of your life? Here's how. Everywhere Jesus is king, heaven follows. You see, the goodness of Jesus isn't just that he died for us. It isn't just that he loves us so much that he would live for us and die for us and raise from the dead and ascend into heaven and to intercede on our behalf. The goodness of Jesus is in his position as a king. And how does a good king produce goodness? He leads us where we need to go. I say this because I think so many Christians are stuck in a stale not dynamic Christianity where you're coming and you're singing and you're praying and there's just no power to it and you're wondering where did I go wrong and what did I miss? And I'm telling you, the answer to that always, inescapably, is you gotta surrender and let him be king because that's where the goodness comes. It's as you give him control that he leads you to flourishing. If you feel stuck, I'm guaranteeing you there's an area of your life that God wants control of that you've been reluctant to give him and you don't realize it, but you are costing yourself the goodness of God. Let me, let me give you an analogy that I think will drive this home. My, my in-laws are incredible people. I love them uh, very much. About eight or so years ago, Amy and I were living in Cleveland and we were looking to buy a house and when you're buying a house with my wife, you're not really looking for an actual house that exists. You're looking for a house she has conceptualized in her brain that may or may not exist in reality. And in this particular housing search, what I realized very quickly is if this house in her brain did exist, I could not afford it. Okay? So I kept trying to show her the houses, not in her brain, but on Zillow that we could actually afford. And at one point, our, our, my in-laws came to me, and they, or us, and they said, hey, guys, we would love to help you out a little bit. As you're looking, we'd love to get you into the next range. They were probably looking at the houses I could afford and saying, we're not visiting you in those houses. 
But they said, hey, we, we would love to give you a little money to, to move you up into the next bracket. And I was a little resistant. I'm a, I'm a proud guy. I was a little resistant. My father-in-law pulled me aside and he said, Zach, you're thinking about yourself. I want you to think about me a little bit. He said, one day I'm going to give you this money either way. Why don't you let me watch you enjoy it? Friends, it isn't just that God has an inheritance for you in the life to come. It's that he wants you to enjoy it now. He wants heaven to break through now. He wants you to see his goodness now. There's more to come. There's more to come. But there's some now. And it comes through his authority and it comes through his kingship and it comes through your surrender. Listen, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to hear me say this. It is not true that all the good things that Christianity offers come after you die, although they do, and that's pretty great. But Christianity offers the opportunity through the authority of Jesus Christ for heaven to begin to invade every single area of your life. That's where meekness gets you. That's where meekness takes you. So that sounds pretty good, right? That leads to my third point, which is to say, well then, hey, how do I get that? How do I get that? If meekness means heaven, if meekness means heaven breaking through, how do I get that? Well, I want to I want to frame this in two ways because I have two particular people in mind. Uh, first, what it means if you're not a Christian, and second, what it means if you are a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you go, well, how do I get that? It's very simple. Three steps, and, I, and I'll give it to you right now, and you can do it right now if you want. Right now, you can make this decision. You, you don't need me to do anything. You, you just say, okay, I'm, I'm in. Here are the three. Number one, you got to cultivate dissatisfaction with yourself. You'll never go looking for a king if you're happy with what you're doing as the authority in your life. Listen, the first step towards Christianity doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Doesn't have anything to do with God. Doesn't have anything to do with any of that. The first step towards Christianity is to realize you are the worst leader you could possibly follow. It is not amazing to me how many people struggle with faith in God. It can be tough especially as you go through trauma, to hold on to faith in God. But what is amazing to me is how many of us resiliently hold on to faith in ourselves. Despite all the evidence to the contrary. If you really want to meet God, even here, right now, you've got to look your brokenness in the face. When everything in our culture tells you to look away, you've got to look at it instead. And you gotta say, one thing's for sure, I don't know what I'm doing. That's the first step. Here's the second step. You have to see the beauty of Jesus. Because if you cultivate dissatisfaction, if you decide, I need someone else to lead, I need someone else to be king, there, is no, there are no shortage of options in our culture. You can find a, a YouTuber, a masterclass, an Instagram, someone on TV, a podcast, a book. You can find someone who will tell you, step aside, let me lead. But you will not find someone who's the son of God who laid down his life for you. That's Jesus' resume to you. I loved you so much that even though you're broken, even though you've participated in the breaking of the world I gave you, I came for you myself. And I lived righteously 
and I died sacrificially, and I rose victoriously, and if you grab hold of me, I will take you to the happiness you're looking for. And here's the third step, surrender. 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 Give up control. Let him lead. Let him be king. Friends, listen, listen. We try to create an environment here at this church for you where you can come week after week and you can feel space to wrestle and space to ask and space to, and that's awesome. But sometimes it's appropriate to say to you, are you there? Why not today reach out for Jesus? But if you're here and you're a Christian, you say, what are my steps? What are my steps? Here they are, you ready? Everything I just said to them, do it every day. Do it every day. Get up every morning and say the absolute worst thing that could happen to me today is that I lead. I gotta see the beauty of Jesus and I gotta give up control. Listen, men, you've been on my heart since the men's summit. God is doing something in the men of this church. Do you feel it? Do you see it? He's doing something. But men, let me tell you how you win the morning. You get up every morning and you say, the absolute biggest threat to my family is that I am in control of me and of them. The absolute worst thing that could happen to my family is that I refuse to see the ugliness of me, that I refuse to see the broken, because let me tell you something, they see it. They see it. Therapists' office are full of men and women who are children whose father refused to acknowledge and see his own brokenness. It's a, it's a daily abdication. Show me my sin. Men, men, it means being courageous enough to look at our brokenness, to see who we are, to go running to Jesus, to give up control, to, to, to fight every day to say he's in charge. And that's not exclusive, obviously, to men or to married men or to any of that. It's a daily fight to become dissatisfied, to see the beauty of Jesus and to surrender. Jesus says, if you'll do it, heaven is waiting. And it's waiting to break through right now. Let me pray for us. Father God, We, we have become so warped in our understanding of you. I mean, if we picked a hundred things that we would guess you wanted to talk to us about, I wonder how far we would get in counting before we'd get to happiness. And yet, in Jesus, in your very, your most important sermon, you lead with this, happy are the meek. Would you even now begin to show us our brokenness, to cultivate dissatisfaction in us enough that we would go reaching for you, Jesus, as king, that we would see your beauty and surrender for the first time or for the thousandth time that we would lay down and that you would begin, as, as individuals and as a church, that heaven would begin to break through into every single area of our lives for your glory, for our good, and for the watching, hungry world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.